0: Imagine a world in which post-traumatic stress no longer robs from millions who suffer. You don't want to get help because you're embarrassed. You don't want to tell people the dark stuff that you've went through. That stigmatism of you can't talk to people is so true. Post-traumatic stress is not a disorder. It's an injury that can be healed quickly so that those who suffer get back to thriving in their families, communities, and mission.
1: And I said, I don't want to, I can't, I don't want to live this trauma again. And he goes, you don't have to. And I said, what? The experts, they forgot to tell me I can heal. I didn't know that I can get rid of PTSD.
0: Each week we tell a skeptical world what is possible with stories of those who have successfully cured their trauma.
1: I just remember being able to stand by the water and look up at the sky and hear the noises, and
0: I didn't think they were gunshots. I was like, those are Disney fireworks. I
1: don't even know what to imagine for myself now, my future, because I have
0: one. This is Life After PTSD, On today's episode of Life After PTSD, we welcome Beverly Engel, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist of about 35 years. It's got a book coming out called Escaping Emotional Abuse, Healing from the Shame You Don't Deserve, coming out this January. And we're going to talk today just about emotional abuse in relationships. My name is Jeff McLaughlin, your host as always on Life After PTSD. And with me, my cohort here, Carrie Russo. How's it going, Carrie? It's going great. Well, Beverly, I want to welcome you. And uh, you know, it's it's crazy. I don't even know actually where you're calling in from. So we gotta get to ask that question on the air. Let's start there. Where are you calling in from?
2: I'm calling in from California.
0: Awesome. Cool. So one coast to another. Here we are in Florida and you know, that's that. I, I Trust and hope everything is okay with the the wildfires and all that stuff, and you're yeah it's safe not and close
1: to me now. No, that's good.
0: Now yeah. it's crazy. Now.
1: So was it close to you at some <laughs> yeah. point? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> wow, yeah. it's, this has mm. been the year. If I hear the word unprecedented again, I think I know. I'm just I like, know. stop, is, yes, y'all. We it's could we could precedent. do a whole
0: show on that 2020 idea. Twenty right? twenty, yeah.
1: Just the new right. precedent. Well, that's crazy. Oh, well, Beverly, that.
0: welcome to the show. We're glad to have you for sure. And uh, we're going to talk about some of the books that you've got coming Well, the book that you've got coming out, but you've done some other things as well. But if you would, for the the audience, just tell them a little bit about your work and, you know, the <laughs> summarize the 35 years of, of therapy work that you've done, however short you can. And, and then we'll jump right into the subject today, if you would. Go ahead.
2: Well, when I began my career, it became really clear to me. Although I had a general practice, it became really clear that many of my clients had been abused in some way, either sexually, emo- emotionally, or physically, uh, either growing up or currently. So I just kind of honed in on that. I had my own experience of ha- of being emotionally and sexually abused as a child, mm, so mm. I was already inclined to to you know to work with that population. Uh, so I started specializing right away. And with working with people who've been abused. Uh, And I've written books on topics for women, especially and how to be empowered and everything. But mostly my books have all been about healing from abuse, either sexual abuse or emotional abuse. Mm.
1: And Beverly, if I can, um, I think those are so important for therapists to have available as well. Because I know when I first started doing therapy over, well, it's been almost 30 years now, and I'm not. A little less than you, but um, of my first 20 clients, 17 of them had to do with some kind of sexual abuse or either they or their parent had been sexually abused and their parent was dealing with them differently as a child because of their own sexual abuse. And I remember being, my eyes just being opened to a whole world of, wow, they didn't teach us this necessarily in school. You know what do I do, and um and looking oh, and for resources, and still right? Not. Yeah, and they're well still, they're still not.
0: Yeah, there you go. Right, mm-hmm. right.
1: They're still not. You're right. And so realizing, um that that's such a area that therapists need not just not just the general population, but therapists need. Oh,
2: absolutely.
0: So so ladies, right off the bat, if I could, because we're gonna get into the emotional abuse piece here, um, because and, <laughs> I almost feel like like doing a show or doing a topic like sexual abuse, we have done some of that before on this show. But because that problem is so widespread, there's so much that has covered that, and not that it doesn't deserve all the coverage that it gets and everything, but we're going to take that sort of unique angle that I think is less talked about in the emotional abuse piece. But before we get there, I just, gut answer from both of you guys, let's have like a little like a, you know, a hot seat kind of question thing. Gut answer, if you were to guess, how, how widespread is the problem of sexual abuse out there? Like how many, you know, what in what is the, is the ratio that you would say if you had to guess um, on the population?
2: I would say at least 50-50, uh, but wow. her figures originally of 17 out of 20 probably is is pretty realistic uh, if you include all forms of sexual abuse.
0: Sure, sure.
2: Okay, uh, and there's a continuum. I mean, it could be being, having been, you know, someone exposing them to their genitals, you know, prono- showing pornography, um, you know inappropriate touch by a parent. I mean, if you include everything, I like your figures 17 out of 20, yeah. but in general, 50, 50, I would say.
1: Carrie, 50%. you go with that as well?
2: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree. Absolutely.
0: So, so I want, I want to actually go a little bit further with this as well, because I think that, you know, these are questions that that don't get answered or even asked, you know, enough on there on that piece, you know, what is normal? Because I, because so many people have had these experiences now, um, it's almost difficult, I think, for many to say, you know, it's almost like we have if that 17 out of 20 number is true, especially more people than not have had what we would generally consider to be abnormal experiences with this unhealthy, you know, kinds of things. Yes. Does that make sense? Yes. Right. So yes. so for somebody that's maybe like they're they're they almost have vertigo on the subject, if you will, you know. How can we reestablish, you know, just a basic norm for what we would say? Look, this is, you know, when we say 17 out of 20 or 50, 50 or whatever the number is, you know, have experienced this abnormal thing. So what is normal by comparison? Like what what would we say would be like a normal uh, experience for somebody growing up, developing in their sexuality in a normal, healthy way, et cetera, et cetera. What, what would that look like for both of you guys? How would you answer that question?
2: Well, I would answer it that. Healthy and normal, I don't know whether it's normal now, but a healthy would be that no one touched you inappropriately uh, in your genital area mm-hmm. or or exposed themselves to you inappropriately sure. or involved you in any kind of sexual act whatsoever, okay? Yeah. That a child should be free and safe to be themselves and not have someone take, taking advantage of them in any way sexually. Hmm. And that includes the, the person who's uh, sexually abusing a child doesn't even really have to touch them. It, you know, I have lots and lots of clients who talk about when they were a teenager, a teenage girl especially, having their father or their uncle or the grandfather looking at them in sexual ways, making mm. sexual comments, yeah. mm. talking about body parts, talking about how they're developing. Uh, I mean, there's so many levels of sexual abuse. So normal would be that a child is just absolutely free of anybody imposing their sexual need on them.
0: I, I really like that definition. I do. What do you think about that, Carrie? Is that well, I, it?
2: I love what she said to start
1: between normal and healthy right? Normal is different probably right yeah. now than mm. what healthy is, which yeah. is Well, and that's really the point good. I was
0: saying. It's so mm-hmm. skewed out of whack for people that they've even lost their sort of frame of reference to know what, you know, what normal and healthy is or whatever. Um, ha- you know, having, having said that, um, I, I would just be curious to know when you talk about like the, the abuse pieces, we sort of transition to the emotional abuse and, and we're going to talk about, I know you have a five-step kind of idea about some of these things we'll get to. Um, Beverly, I recently came across a book, uh, and we're actually going to have the author of this book on the show in a couple of weeks. Um, Laura K. Klein. She wrote a book called Pure, and uh, she was speaking from the subject of the "quote unquote" purity culture um, that exists within mm-hmm. within like the evangelical church, and uh, you know, not not all. I mean, there are certainly many churches that have rejected this idea, but we're talking about that culture that I, you know, largely has used guilt, shame, whatever. You know, to sort of play on the emotions yes. and
1: fear of condemnation, fear
0: of condemnation, etc., etc., et cetera, to get a desired end that I don't know that I would necessarily agree with as a dad that has two of my kids or daughters, you know, I certainly would want them to make wise decisions and not get into heartache and things like that. But it was just the the means by which they got to that end. Or whatever, and that's what Laura's book addresses, and everything. Um, in your work, do you encounter a lot of that? That kind of comes from that purity culture. I'm, I, I'm I'm using that phrase loosely, but it's really become a a coined phrase now to really describe this. That's kind of gone mainstream. So I don't know if you're familiar right. with that phrase, and if you are, maybe you sure call I it something am, else. Sure, yeah. I am. would you speak to that?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't have uh, any experience really with the the current purity culture, but lots of my clients who were sexually abused. Come from and and if we, when we seg- segue into emotional abuse especially, sure. come from families and backgrounds where there's very strong fundamentalist Christian values imposed on them. Sure, sure. Uh, and that adds to their shame. Uh, the message is not only sexually, but the message is you cannot do anything wrong. You cannot be normal and healthy and make a mistake of any kind, even. Uh, It goes way beyond just sexuality um, where the child just feels constantly shamed and constantly disempowered. And I have tons of clients who are emotionally abused today because of that upbringing, because of that message that, number one, you have to. Go along with whatever your male partner tells you to do, number one. Yeah. Number two, you cannot express your own emotions. You cannot ever say when you don't want to do something or you don't like something. Uh, and number three, yeah, you have to really repress any feelings, uh, any need of your own. You have to go along with the family go along with the family or the church's rules. Yeah, yeah. And that really feeds into emotional abuse as an adult.
0: Yeah, and I, I got to step up and just say, in, in defense of women, I mean, I, you know, I know, <laughs> somebody say, oh, he's being a feminist or something like that, because that's become a negative <laughs> term for some reason. And I'm like, you know what? No, I want to be on the support of feminine values here in the sense that the double standard that's been projected on women, when I when I look at this, you know, from a uh, sort of a you know, as an outsider, being that I'm a you know, being a guy and everything, the the standard that many women are made, and it's not just in the you know, in the in the fundamentalist church movements and everything. I know it's not just there, but that just tends to be a real heavy purveyor of some of these ideas you know, the double standard that exists there, for example, like in Laura's book, and I don't mean to talk about another author about, I feel bad doing this, but I want to bring up this one example because I do think it's important. And I think that, you know, we can have a great conversation here as we're, again, transitioning into the emotional abuse piece. But she talks about, you know, just being a kid in a youth group growing up, right? And doing a a fundraiser car wash for a trip or an event or whatever, you know, and the boys are taking off their shirts and they're spraying each other with hoses and everything. They start spraying the girls, girls get wet shirts and everything. Then they get chastised, Because you, oh my gosh, you've got a wet t-shirt. Now you're a stumbling block for these boys, quote unquote, go home and change your shirts and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going it is a double standard, right? I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, and that's, that's just one less, example, you know, it's just one example, but I think society a at large
1: segue into emotional abuse, well, but, but it is.
0: And, and so Verbal think abuse. beyond that, think, think what society projects right there. Like I don't walk through the the grocery store and hit to see the tabloids in the, you know, I'm thinking it was years ago. I want to say this example was Jennifer Aniston. Um, I could be wrong on this, so I'll have to maybe correct it later if I need to, but I'm pretty sure it was Jennifer Aniston, like 15, 20 years ago, you know, back when Jennifer Aniston is like people's, I don't know, most beautiful, per- what do they call those things? Anyway, um, she's walking through uh, some grocery store out in Beverly Hills, I think, is how the story goes, goes through the checkout line, sees the tabloids and says, okay, that's my, that's me on the magazine, that's my face, it's my chest, it's my legs, but that's not my torso, and they had airbrushed her. And I'm going, man, when the perfect, quote unquote, are getting airbrushed, you know, even that standard, like the right. standard that women have to live uh, you know, up to and, uh, and then can't complain about it, can't say a word. You know, we're listening to the, uh, the debate the other day between Mike Pence and, and uh, Kamala Harris and everything. And, and the strategists were saying about her, she can't get angry. She can't let her, he can, right. he's fine, you know, but she can't do right. this. So, all of these different things, to me, all of that is emotional abuse. Would you guys agree?
2: Absolutely, absolutely. And it sets women, especially men, become emotionally abused too. Um, but it sets women up for emotional abuse when they're constantly told, Uh, that they have to be perfect and that they have to do whatever their parents or the church or, or whatever tells them to do that they don't have a right to speak up, that they don't have a right to say no. I also have written a book called I'm saying no, which encourages women to speak up and say no. Uh, And that means no to sex unwanted sexual pressure, no to sexual harassment, no to sexual abuse, you know, kids kids especially and women girls don't know how to say no they're not given permission to say no
0: so so can you speak to that just for a second here because I really then' we'll, we'll get into your five step you have a five-step sort of idea or track for those who are being emotionally abused but how when you're working with a client or if you were you know if you had the opportunity to give to give a TED talk to give a what you know and to kind of say ladies, Here's, here's what no looks like. Here's how you do this, how you say it properly. It's more than just saying the word no, I, I'm sure. Yes, right? absolutely. What would you prescribe for that, Beverly?
2: Well, first of all, I would try to help them understand that they have a right to say no, hmm. that they have a right to speak up for themselves. A lot of women don't know that. And secondly, I would encourage them to talk about the pressure, like you were talking about the Jennifer Aniston, the pressure they feel to be perfect Especially physically, and uh, how desperate so many young women are to get male attention. And they will do most anything to get male attention because they're coming from a place already of feeling so low about themselves, feeling, you know, having no self esteem whatsoever. And so they look to males for attention, for approval and acceptance. So if a male comes up to them and Ask them, you know, starts talking to them and then asks them to do something that they don't really want to do or grabs them physically. They don't feel like they have a right to say no, number one. And number two, they go along with it because they're so hungry for acceptance. They're so hungry for approval. Mm. And so I work with, with women to help them understand that, you know, getting approval from a male by having letting him touch you in ways that you don't want to be touched or, you know, doing things to you that you really don't want to do. And that even includes women who were in relationships. Yeah. Women who were in relationships will often do sexual stuff that they don't want to do that actually maybe repulses them. But it's because they feel like they have to do it. In order to hang on to the man. So there's a lot of education that goes on about, you know, the, what they have a right to do. And then really looking deeper at why do you need all this male approval? Why do you, you base your whole self-concept on whether a man finds you attractive or not?
0: Beverly, it's it's interesting that you talk about even, you know, women being pressured to do the things that they, they don't want to do. I, I suspect, no, I don't suspect, I was about to make a tiptoe around this statement. I'm going to make a declarative statement here. Um, I don't think the porn culture is helping this cause, is it? I don't think this virtual reality, Absolutely not. I mean, these things that they're, and, and you know, one of the things that's interesting that we're learning more and more about pornography, they're calling it like the new drug and things like that. We know of the dopamine effects that happen there, but we also know that the satisfaction of that dopamine burst for many requires great variance when they, when they um, sort of retouch on the porn addiction, meaning that like maybe what satisfied, what got them off yesterday, doesn't work today 30 years ago pornography was you know the the um the sleazy backroom door at the at the video store at the you know at the little uh i would say mom and pop video store i'd like to think mom and pop video stores didn't have that room but you couldn't find that room at blockbuster is what i'm trying to say right there you know the independently owned right. whatever or it's or it's the magazines it's dad's magazine you know stash if dad had one of those i was fortunate enough to not have that in our house growing up but you know if dad had one of those you know you would go and, and sort of raid that but now it's it's this instant you know, burst that's coming on your screen that you have a private window to a high speed inter- internet connection and literally find anything to the point that, you know, if you guys remember this a few years ago, I think they've reversed positions now, but Playboy magazine a few years ago stopped even publishing porn. You remember this? And they came out and they said, <laughs> "We're gonna we're gonna focus on like the Playboy lifestyle, you know, fine wines and cigars and things like that. Why sell something that people are getting for free on the internet anyway? And in much more, right. you know, whatever." So anyway, we know that this stuff is out there, and we know that that's not helping the cause. And you know, and it's and it's uh, it's not like we're it's not like we're on the other side of this battle, finally having made some some headway. Like we don't know where all of this is headed, where the internet is going, where how much more depraved things are going to get. I mean, they're selling dolls now. That people can have right. sex with. I mean, it's just the crazy kind of things right. that are out there. So I gotta think that this is only pushing the problem more and more and more. And we haven't even begun to fight if there ever is going to be a fight in in helping to reclaim some of this ground, you know, for the safety of women. Would you agree with that?
2: Absolutely. And the connection with violence. There's so much violence mm-hmm. yes. in, in pornography. Yeah. Uh, and so it's not even just that. You know, they need more and more or, or different types or you know more risque pornography, they want to connect violence with pornography.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh,
2: And that's very, very dangerous. It is extremely dangerous. Like you said
1: earlier, it's not just women. There are men who are having this happen to them too, or young boys, uh, you know, who are feeling that shame of emotional abuse and it's women on women as well. I'm, I'm dealing with clients who, um, don't actually have same sex attraction and we're not going down that road today, but I'm just saying they don't, but they're really confused. And often it's because someone took it, you know, someone did something inappropriate to them and they were confused because physiologically their body responded because that's what we do. And they were, they're confused now and they don't know what to do. And so, um, you know, it's just, this is such a broad topic. We would probably do 20 episodes on it and still not cover everything.
0: Well, right. But we're going to do the best we can here today. We're going to take a break here in a second and we're, we will jump in right after the break. We're going to jump in right away to that five-step plan that you kind of have, uh, Beverly, for people who are experiencing abuse, right? But I want to say this because our show is unapologetically of the belief that with what we know about the brain now, that PTSD is is not an injury. It's not a D. We needed to remove that D word and um, with what we understand about how the brain can heal, these things can heal. But every once in a while, we need to do a show that kind of advocates for these sorts of issues, because it's one thing to say to somebody who's been abused and now they've realized it, you know, they've, they've maybe gotten out of that toxic situation. You know, you need to go find a therapist, a clinician, a coach, whatever, who is trained to work with trauma. Like, that is true. We we fully, you know, support that. And I hope that anybody who's a regular listener to this show would have heard that message loud and clear. But today I think we need to speak to those who are in the thick of things and don't know how to get out. And those who are watching someone they know and they love who is in the thick of things and they don't know how to help that person. So when we come back after the break, we're going to jump right into that very topic. And uh, if you're listening out there, stick with us and we will be right back after a few words.
1: Hey life after PTSD listeners. We're glad that you love other stories of healing, but what about you? First Orlando Counseling is the premier trauma therapy center in Central Florida with a full staff of trained clinicians ready to help you clear your trauma without re traumatization. Childhood abuse, relationship abuse, a traumatic car accident, birth trauma, first responder or military trauma, even phobias. You don't have to live like this. It's time for you to heal. Schedule a consultation today by visiting firstorlandocounseling.com or call 407-514-4470. It's that easy.
0: Here we are back with Life After PTSD, having a great conversation with Beverly Engel. And uh, Carrie, I think you you kind of hit me with something during the break.
1: Uh, when you were talking about those, we're going to talk to those who are in that situation or those who know someone in that situation. I would say also, those who don't even realize they're suffering mm. from yeah. emotional abuse, and I yeah. think Beverly yeah. will probably cover it. Will be cover all of those.
0: Yeah, Beverly. So this is your world, and I just want to tee you up and uh, let you kind of hit it out of the park. Give me, give me those five things. Give the audience those five things that you kind of have outlined that are really effective for helping those who are you know in these situations of emotional abuse.
2: Okay, I call it a shame reduction program because I focus on shame as the primary. Destructive emotion that occurs with emotional abuse, and so step number Mm. one is kind of an emotional abuse deprogramming, where I—it's kind of like when you know a member of a of a cult, you'd have to brain—you know—who've been brainwashed. Sure. They have to be deprogrammed. So I provide information strategies uh, to help them understand number one that they are being emotionally abused, and number two, it's a really big one is to stop believing their partner. Stop giving their partner so much power. Emotional abusers, whether they're doing it consciously or not, tend to lie to their partner. They, they, they exaggerate, they lie, they try to tear down their partner at any, at any given time. Um, they're constantly degrading their partner. They're constantly insinuating that somehow their partner is a disappointment mm. or is failing in some way as a parent or as a partner. And so most people who are being emotionally abused give far too much power to what their partner is saying, to what the abusive partner is saying. Mm. So I help deprogram them, and it's kind of harsh, but just to say stop believing what your partner says. You can't believe what he says. If he keeps telling you or she keeps telling you things that aren't true, you need to stop believing it. You need to put up almost like a shield and say, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to argue with him about it. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm just going to make a A broad feeling here that I can't believe this person. Yeah, can I jump in there real
0: quick, though, if I could? I just want to address that point because I think that's so powerful. For so many people, the beliefs that they have that they're susceptible to now that don't really match objective reality, which would be the kinds of things that they would hear from an abuser, are often first programmed in childhood in some form or fashion, like it's some form that they've heard in some of their case. Beverly, what do you, you know, what do you say to the person? I mean, we have some techniques that work with that kind of thing. What, what do you say to a person who, you know, you're the only person in their life as their therapist that is saying to them, Hey, that word that that abuser is speaking to you is not true, but it's so deep seated at an unconscious level in them because it's, it, it long even predates the abuser. How do you work with that specific dynamic when you, when you're working with a client?
2: well if i if the client is open to talking about their their childhood history then of course I go there and ask them who else in your childhood told you those things sure, sure. or or who else previous partners told you those things or why do you believe those things and then we usually get into shame almost always we mm. usually get into shame and how they really don't think that they're worth anything they don't think that they're good at anything yeah uh they don't think that they're lovable and so my my way of working with it is actually self-compassion mm. i teach i that's that's step number Chris, three actually kristen
1: Chris neff and self-compassion is a book all about it oh,
2: okay, yes so yeah yes mm-hmm. you
1: like her work yeah. Yeah.
2: yes absolutely uh, and there are other people who, too, who mm-hmm. work with self-compassion. Right, right,
1: right. Um, well, it sounds like but, you do, too. Um, You've written
2: things on it, too. Is Seriously. That like? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. 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 But I try I start from scratch, just helping them to rebuild their image of themselves using self-compassion. Uh, and some key words are it's understandable. You know, that hmm. it's under it, it, a lot of people who are emotionally abused will be super critical of themselves because they have done things in reaction to their abuser. Uh, and so, and they're very much, they're, they're so focused on being perfect again. Um, perfectionism is a really huge thing here. Yeah. Uh, but their partner accuses them of something or they say, yes, I am being emotionally abused because he's doing this and that. But they will negate that by saying, well, I've done it too. So if, if they're not perfect, if they've also gotten angry, or if they've also lied or if they've also done something they don't allow themselves to get angry at their partner for doing it so i with self compassion i always teach that it's understandable that i would get angry at my partner mm. for constantly putting me down it's understandable that i would be depressed And so, so depressed that I don't feel sexually attracted to him anymore. Hmm. He complains that I don't want sex. Well, I don't want sex because he's constantly putting me down. And it's understandable that I don't want sex. sex. Let me ask you something.
0: Yeah. If I could though real quick, we're we're living in a society in a world where, you know, so often we're told that just the goal is to be happy, Like we have to be happy all the time and that sort of thing. And, and that's, I, I, the more I'm learning about that, the more I'm realizing that's not the only emotion we should experience. I mean, this is why we pers- prescribe uh, drugs half the time Wait, for things. is
1: isn't? I shouldn't just be happy all the time at <laughs> I mean, every
0: moment? Well, I mean, and, and, and that, that it's okay to embrace sometimes these other emotions that we're feeling. And I feel like we just try to like, you know, either drug that up or, or self-help that up. So, so we're all happy all the time and everything. And if we do that, we're literally doing injustice. I think you would agree when it comes to some of these other emotions that are natural indicators of when something is being done wrong to us, Right.
2: Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, so so self, self-compassion was actually step three. Step two was e- anger expression. I give my, my clients and my readers a lot of permission to get angry. And most of them don't think it's okay to be angry. Yeah. Again, mm. they're supposed to be perfect. Uh, and if they get angry, they're afraid that they're going to become abusive. A lot of them were raised in abusive homes where one of their parents was extremely angry and extremely rageful. And they're afraid that if they get a little tiny bit angry, they're going to become an abuser. Hmm. So there's a lot of permission to go ahead and get angry. Anger is, is one of the best ways of healing shame. It's the opposite of shame. If you're, if shame is like taking in the criticism Anger is like pushing it away and saying, "No, I'm not that. No, I don't. I'm not as bad as you're making me out to be. Sure. No, I'm sure. not a liar. No, I'm not cheating on you." So I teach anger expression and can, how to do it safely. Yeah, Go can ahead. I?
0: I was going to ask you real quick. Then, then you know, somebody's listening right now. They're going, "Yeah, but that violates everything I've ever heard. Like, anger's a bad thing. I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm full on right. tracking with you. Could you give you know, sort of in a nutshell?" how you would separate the difference between sort of an anger that is unhealthy versus an anger that is healthy and productive and, and can bring a uh, restorative healing to a person. How would you, def- how would you kind of um, create a sort of a barrier between those two?
2: Well, first of all, it's unhealthy to take in anger from other people. Okay. Mm. That's, that's important to know. Sure. Sure.
0: So,
1: well, that's, not, not- that's powerful. I mean, think about that, you know, the other person is yeah. angry and so you're just, Absorbing that, yeah, and, and yes, and, yes, and believing that lie or right, whatever it is. Right. Yeah, That's a good word. Go ahead. Okay, keep good keep word. Going. Yeah, yeah I, I love. I love that.
2: Yeah, and secondly, it's it's healthy to stand up for yourself and say what you don't like or defend yourself. That's not the same as being abusive. Uh, even even talking back or or even yelling is not abusive. Abusiveness is when there's an Im- imbalance in power, and when you know the other person can't really defend themselves, like a parent and a child, yep. that's unhealthy anger. Okay, uh, healthy anger is when you express the anger not at another person, even necessarily, but you just get it out of your own system. Mm. You know, you can write a letter that you don't send. You can you can go and and you know go in your car and yell at the top of your lungs. I always ask clients to ask their body, how does your body want to express anger? And a lot of people will intuitively know that they want to hit or like they can kneel beside their bed and just use their fists to hit or they want to tear something up or they want to scream. So I actually have them get in touch with what their body needs to do to expel the rage that they're holding in. So it's unhealthy to hold your rage in. It's unhealthy to... Assume that, you know, you don't have a right to ever speak up and and say when you're angry. Anger is not a bad thing. It's only if you use it against another person in a Mm. really abusive way. Mm.
1: I I love that. It's anger should not be held in, but you don't use it against another person. Mm.
0: So you use it
1: like, hey, instead of bottling this up, I'm going to get it out, which can be, um, you know, I'm going to go running. I mean, it could be, uh, you know, I go running and... and I, I do something else, active. You know, I, all kinds of things. Beat the go ahead,
0: Carrie. I'm just curious if uh, if anger is expressed by you when you go rollerblading. <laughs> I'm just curious if that works for you, Beverly. A little inside joke here. This woman literally will rollerblade inside of a grocery store. Okay, this is the kind of person that I'm dealing with next to me, right here. So uh, anyway, I'm just curious. But you know, I'm, yeah, I'm a lot of different outlets. 80s. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of different outlets for for this sort of thing, and I, I love it because I get I just I I really want to focus in on this point because I feel like so many people here. That anger is always bad, and there is a difference between healthy and unhealthy anger, right? Actually, yes, absolutely. You know, it's it's interesting. I'm even reminded too. You know, even from like from if if you're going to come at this from a from like a, a religious or a, or a scriptural perspective or something, the Bible even says it: be angry and do not sin right? That's in mm-hmm. scripture for crying out loud. Now, I think there's a lot of people out there that kind of hide behind the guise of, well, this is my righteous anger coming out. You know, when I, when I, well, <laughs> when I think <laughs> when yeah. I threw that rock through that guy's window, that was my righteous anger. No, nah, I don't know about that, but you know, but also sometimes
1: <laughs> parents use that against their kids. They do. Right. And that's they not do. okay. Yeah, of course. Um, so I love, so shame, shame is where it starts for you. Step one. Um, and that's going along with stop believing the lies. gives, give no power to the lies is what I was thinking. Um, and then right. anger, anger, express your anger. Don't absorb others' anger and um, express it healthily, not against another person. And um, then right. self-compassion um, was, right. is,
2: is that?
0: That's number three. That's three. Yeah, I love that, love that. Okay, so, so what's four?
2: And four is self-forgiveness. Again, uh, people who are being emotionally abused are often very self-critical. And on top of it, they're being criticized constantly for every tiny mistake. So self-forgiveness is really, really powerful. And again, it it helps to reduce the, the, or eliminate their shame. Uh, and, you know, it starts out with just listing the things that you feel guilty and shame about. Things that you assume that you've done wrong or that you've, uh, you know, not not done enough of. Uh, And again, people who are being abused are very, very self-critical. So I just have them name, Mm. name their name, the things that they feel, you know, so guilty or shamed about. Um, And then I help them look at, okay, why did you do those things? You know, okay, I'm not a good parent. You know, I, I have headaches all the time. I feel depressed when my kids come home from school. I want to be able to greet them and, you know, give them a snack and be a cheerful mother, but I could hardly get off the couch. And I often just tell them to go and make their own snack and tell them to go play outside. And I'm I feel guilty and ashamed because I'm such a terrible mother. Yeah. Well, why do you think you're you're so exhausted all the time? Why do you think you are depressed? And then I help them see that again the depression is a direct result of being emotionally abused right. you know that's one of the that's one of the key red flags that you're being emotionally abused i have a questionnaire about whether you're being emotionally abused and one is do you feel depressed a great deal of the time another one is do you feel confused all the time people who are emotionally abused often are confused they don't know what to do they're afraid of making a mistake Uh, Their head has gotten foggy, they're dissociating a lot, and they're not really present in in their relationship with their children. So then it goes back to self-compassion. It's understandable that I would be exhausted. I'm being emotionally abused. That's why I can't be a good parent. And to forgive myself for that, I forgive myself for the fact that I can't be a good parent as long as I'm putting up with this emotional abuse or as long as I'm staying with this person. Mm. And so I need to take some action in order to get out of this situation. So it's all kind of connected. The self forgiveness is connected to self compassion. And then the, the very last step is self kindness. Let me let me let me there,
1: st- let me stay on forgiveness for one more minute because yeah, I know yeah, that yeah. people often say, What does that really mean, forgiveness? And the, the definition and I cannot think I know Oprah has quoted it, but she's quoting someone else and I can't think who it is right now. Maybe someone else will know, but, but for, and I'm probably going to botch it, but forgiveness is giving up the hope that the past could be any different or something along those lines, you Mm -hmm. know, like the past is over. It's gone. Um, we talk often about if we stay in the past, we're going to get depressed. If we go too far in the future, we're going to be anxious, But that definite. I'm just wondering what your definition for someone of depression. I mean, of of forgiveness is. What is your definition of forgiveness? Because I think that a lot of people get stuck in that. Like, okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. It's understandable, and I get what you're saying that I should forgive myself. But the problem is, tomorrow I keep doing the same thing, and every day is the same. And I, I granted, I know it can change, but and there's just so much guilt, and so I don't know. I just think it's a beautiful thought of forgiveness is giving up the past, giving up the hope that the past could be any different. I'm just wondering what your thought on like the definition of forgiveness is.
2: Well that definition that you're quoting is really about forgiving someone else. You mm. for, by, by forgiving, you know, giving Cause up. Because I hope guess for me,
1: in my mind, it's even forgiving yourself. Like I can't go back and change yesterday that I didn't give my kids a snack. I can't go back and change yesterday right. that I allowed this emotional abuse. And I can't go back and change Yesterday, the stories I told myself about myself, right? Right? Because I think right. sometimes that emotional abuse, of course, the emotional abuse from others, really, it's like you said, it it ends up being within. It's our own. We don't give ourselves compassion, um, right? And we beat ourselves up, you know. um So I'm just wondering. Yeah, that's perfect. What? So what would your definition well, for of the quote be? too?
0: By the way, here's the correct quote: Forgiveness is. Uh, giving up all hope for a better past. Um, okay, now, Anne you. Lamott has gotten credit for that, but it actually came from uh, somewhere else earlier and she actually didn't claim the credit. She disclaimed the credit for it. But that's that's the actual quote that you're referencing right there. So yeah, if you're talking about that being how you're forgiving someone else, yeah, how would you make the distinction between that, Beverly? What would you say on that?
2: Well, for self-forgiveness, I think that it includes, again, self-compassion, understanding that um, I did this, I did this because of this. That's different than making an excuse for your behavior.
1: Mm.
2: It's, it involves self understanding. There's a reason why I behave the way I did. And I can't stress that enough that um, it's, it's a real self understanding that I'm, that I'm, I'm the, I'm, I'm who I am and I'm acting who I the way I do because of what's been done to me Again, It's not an excuse. It's an understanding. Sure. Okay. And there's real difference there. Um, If it means apologizing, I always encourage people to apologize, even to children. You know, if you suddenly realize that because of the emotional abuse, you have been negligent with your children or you've been abusive yourself to your children, it's very important to apologize, to go to them. Children can understand apology and they can be healed by apology you can say, I'm very sorry that I haven't been, you know, a good mommy to you lately. You know, I've been tired and on the couch and I, and I'm so sorry. I can understand. And you with an apology. There's, I hope wrote a whole book on apology. Mm. There's several steps to it. One is to, to show that you understand how the other person is feeling. So you say, "I, I want you to know, I'm really sorry that I haven't had much energy. I haven't been there for you. Um, And I want you to know I understand that that must feel terrible to come home from school and be excited and want to share things with me. And I'm just not available to you. I'm just kind of checked out. Uh, and so I want you to know, I understand that that's hurtful sure. and I'm good, And then the last step with apology is you always say, and I'm going to do so and so to make a change. And that kind of relates to your other question about how it's different. You make a plan for change, even if you're being emotionally abused and you cannot see how you could possibly get to a point where you could leave your husband. You make a plan anyway you have to know that there's something you can do to change. Otherwise, you're just going to go in a cycle where you're going to get depressed again. So you make a plan for change. And, you know, maybe that's the relating back to a better past. But it's like, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the doctor, I'm going to get a checkup, I'm going to see how I'm doing physically. Uh, I'm going to go to therapy, so I can start working on being able to either leave my husband or make better boundaries with my husband so you make an actual plan for change. Hmm. So hmm. self-forgiveness is about self-understanding and about apologizing if you if there's someone to apologize to and then making a plan for change or restitution is what some people would call it. And the last step is self-kindness. People who are being abused do are not kind to themselves. Again, they're critical, they're impatient, Uh, They're always looking for fault in themselves. Um, uh, In a relationship, a healthy person, if they start to feel anxious, um, they will go inside and ask themselves, why am I feeling anxious? What's going on with me that, that I'm feeling anxious? An unhealthy or abusive person, when they're feeling anxious, will not go inside. They will go outside and they will say, what did you do to make me feel anxious? And that's a huge distinction between an abusive person and a non-abusive person. Oh, okay. Wow. Uh,
1: yeah. Talk talk uh, about that some more, because that's that's really powerful to think about that.
2: Yeah, yeah. So an abused person will almost always go inside, which is good. It's better than always going outside and and placing blame on others. But they go inside and they don't know how to connect with themselves. So I teach a a, a checking-in system where they ask themselves every day um, f- about four emotions and so this kind of bake, make it real basic, anger, sadness, fear, and shame. And I had just have them ask, am I feeling angry? And to try to check in with their body about, am I feeling angry? Am I feeling sad? Am I feeling fear? Am I feeling shame? And most likely they're going to say, yes, they are. And then this is I'm really shortcutting this. But um, the next big step then is to ask, what do I need? Yes, I'm being I feel angry. The next question, what do I need? Okay, so I don't need Mm. to eat ice cream to somehow take push the anger down. No, that's not a healthy way to solve the need. What do I need? Well, I need to tell my husband I don't like it when he makes fun of me in, in front of other people. OK, hmm. what do I need? I need to spend more time taking care of my own needs. I need to every once in a while go to a spa. I need to go for walks. I need to take time for myself to be kind to myself. I need to start deep breathing. I need to meditate. OK, so I need to start being kind to myself. That's the best answer for any of those, whether I'm angry, sad, afraid or shamed. Um, but it's really important that they learn to check in with themselves and ask themselves what they're feeling. Those are the first steps to self-kindness. And then what do I need? And start giving themselves what they really need and what they deserve.
0: Beverly, if as we kind of close out the show today, I, I would be curious if you can just sort of give a word to somebody who's – they're not in an abusive situation, but they're listening to this and they're going – there's a, there's a face popping in. There's a name popping into my head right now, right? It's a family member. It's a friend, it's a coworker, whatever it is. They're overwhelmed. They're not trained to work with this kind of stuff, but they, they feel this deep and abiding sense of, uh, you know, that they must act, that they must do something. What do you say to that person? Like what, what's something that they can do? And, you know, maybe uh, some of it's applying this information or teaching this information to it, to a friend or whatever, but you know, what's the intermediate step there even before that?
2: Well, it's really difficult because they have to kind of, they kind of have to rely on their, their friend or their family member sharing with them, you know, that they're being emotionally abused and that's probably not going to happen. So they can look for signs like somebody always being depressed, always being confused, never having any energy, um, always putting themselves down. When you hear somebody always constantly criticizing themselves and putting themselves down, Mm. um, so when you hear those things coming from the other person, you know, you can start, you know, just sharing compassion with them. Say things like, gee, it must be really difficult to be a mother and have these all these kids. It must be really difficult. It sounds like you're having a hard time. Uh, being very, very compassionate. Gee, I'm so sorry that you're feeling tired all the time. That's better than giving advice, Okay telling them that they should leave their husband or telling them that they should do so-and-so probably isn't going to help. But just being present, being compassionate, that's what they need the most. They're probably not getting that from anybody else. They're probably not getting patience and compassion and just listening, just listening to them. Mm. You know, I know that sounds very fundamental, but we know that battered women, we know that emotionally abused men and women, they don't follow the advice when, even when it's obvious that they're being emotionally abused and people tell them, you know, you've got to get away from this guy. They, they, they can't take that in. Okay. Right. They're, they're too confused and depressed to take that in and afraid, but they always can take in patience and compassion and understanding. That's a good word. And even good. encouraging,
1: I i think um, encouraging them to be understanding of the of themselves. So when somebody yes. says, oh my goodness, um, I, mean, I can remember years ago, somebody saying to me, oh, I'm such a bad mom. I dress my kids yeah. before school the night before, and they just have to sleep in their clothes because I just am too tired. And I yeah. remember the, this friend, I think it was a friend that was telling me about this, said to this person, I don't think that's the end of the world. How old are your kids? Like, they're going to be okay. Like, you know, mm-hmm. just, well, when did you decide you were a bad mom? Like, what are, what are the good things you do? Because most of us even when we're, you know, we all have days that we tell ourselves stories that aren't true, right? But we also have things that we do know we do okay. So yeah. I, I love when when somebody comes to me and says, I'm really worried about a friend, which we've I've had that. I think we've all had that at some right. point. I'm really worried about a friend. Right. I say, ask your friend, like, what? when is a moment that you did feel good? Well, I did yesterday read my child a story. It was a quick one, but I did. Okay. Yeah. You know, find something. They're usually doing something okay. Yeah. And maybe yeah. through that understanding, they can start thinking about getting help. You never know. Just yeah. About. Yeah. And
2: that's a really good point because, because as a friend or a family member, you can say to them when they're saying, I'm such a horrible mother, you can, you can say, you know, yeah, but I notice that you're always so patient with your kids. I never hear you yelling at your kids. I always see you encouraging your kids. Maybe you're not, you know, hundred percent there for them all the time. But I do see you doing this, you know? So yeah, giving, giving positive feedback about what a great person they are. Mm. Or, you know, you're always there for me whenever I have a problem. You always are there for me. You're such a good listener. So, you know, when they're being self-critical, counter it with something like, you know, yeah, but I noticed this. I can
1: remember uh, when I was a young mom, My, my oldest is now 27. And um now I just know I don't have it all figured out. But then when I was you young psychology had just finished, you know, student trying to do everything right, right? I'm gonna spend every moment, right. read to them every night. And I remember one time saying something and a friend, you know, like, Oh, I just feel like such a bad mom because of and I don't even know what I had done, you know, dot dot dot. And my friend said, Well, since when is it okay that we do everything for our children and they and they have to just um have every need met like it's good sometimes that you're not there for them yep. every second like that's okay they're going to develop resilience and we were thinking no I, I need to do everything but you know just the stories we tell ourselves and i was like yeah my kids do get things you know, get something from the days that i'm having a bad day and then being able to admit hey i'm having a bad day it's been tough today work's been tough yes and and to be real, because they the kids need to do the same thing. So anyway, I know that we need to wrap up. But thank you so much, um, Beverly, for share with what you whatever else you would like to share well, yeah, Go ahead, Jeff. I,
0: I, would, I would just as we close today how does somebody you know sort of track with your work and uh you know you got the new book coming out tell us about that for a second here how do they get it by the way is it on audiobook because that's my new addiction so just give us the whole rundown <laughs> on that if you would <laughs> uh,
2: yeah yeah escaping emotional abuse is the new book and coming out in january it mm-hmm. is on audiobook cool. and it's in paperback and you can it's on amazon and all the Uh, internet, you know, bookstores, and you can get it in a real bookstore if we can ever go into a store again. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. (laughs) And, yeah. And, you know, we I mentioned the I'm saying no, that's another book that I wrote last year. And it's, it's especially good for young women who are just entering the workforce or just going to off to college it really helps them to get to the place where they can stand up for themselves especially against sexual unwanted sexual pressure and sexual harassment yeah um but you can reach in my my website is beverly Eng, beverly at beverlyangle.com mm-hmm. and I also have a, a website called called heal healing your shame.
0: And that's just what healing your com, basically, or what?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Awesome.
0: Yeah. Cool. That's so cool. Well, and we'll put um, links to the books in the description of, of the show notes. Uh, okay. So for anybody, you know, um, who's trying to frantically write this stuff down, it's all there. Don't worry. We got you covered for sure. Um, I love the uh, I'm saying no thing. That's just, that's a powerful message. And, again you know, as a dad that have five kids the oldest two are daughters and these are messages oh, wow. that you know they're 13 and 11 like this is the time to start having these conversations Absolutely. for sure in fact it's probably later than the time quite frankly you know but to have a tool yeah. and a resource yeah. I know there's many parents out there that would say the same thing we're so grateful for that information so thank you for being yes. on the show with us today and uh, we'll continue to you're track welcome. with you for sure yeah for the listeners out there if you're looking to track with her obviously you heard you know how to find Beverly but um, for us on social media you can find Life After PTSD on Instagram at Life After PTSD on YouTube and Facebook at Life After PTSD Media. Guys, we drop episodes every single Monday like clockwork. We've been doing this almost two years now and love doing this show, love the conversations and interactions that we get to have both with the guests that we bring on, but those who listen to the show and reach out. Uh, We always do the best we can to get you connected however we can with the resource that you're looking for. Um, But I'd say more importantly, especially for an episode like this, somebody's hearing this today and you know somebody that needs to hear it. So share it. That's all we ask. Just share it. Shoot somebody a text right now. Hey, I think you need to listen to this. I think this would be a, you know, a good relevant, um, a piece for your, for your life and for your growth. So if you would do that for us, that helps us on our mission and we'll continue to do what we do. And we will see you next Monday on life after PTSD to learn more about our work, visit lifeafterptsd.org. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. Become a patron at patreon.com slash lifeafterptsd. Life After PTSD is produced by Jeff McLaughlin. For production inquiries or to sponsor the show, email info at lifeafterptsd.org.